Hello and welcome to another episode of the Perception Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Partridge. In today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of talking to the barefoot mediator herself, Jane Gunn. Jane, who is an expert in the field of conflict resolution and has spoken at the United Nations and the White House, demystifies and distills down for us the real essence of what mediation actually means. We look at the narratives that drive us into conflict and discuss the alarming disappearance of balanced debate and conversation. Please join me as we look at life through a different lens. So welcome, 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 Jane, to the Perception Podcast. It is absolutely fantastic to have you here today. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Caroline. I know we've been waiting for ages to... Oh, I know this has been a, a long-awaited conversation and I'm so glad we found time today to speak to each other. Um, so, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are a mediator, uh, amongst other things, um, uh, many other things. Um, and I just first wanted to... Um, I wondered if you could just clarify what mediation actually is, because I think there is a lot of misunderstanding Mm -hmm. about what mediation is and what mediators do and the expectations around mediation. Absolutely. So what mediators really do, mediation is actually a conversation. It's a conversation between two people who've got some kind of challenge or crisis or conflict between them. And what the mediator is doing or should be doing is facilitating that conversation. Mm. The conversation has become dysfunctional. uh, The interaction isn't working. And so we are focused on How do we create a better interaction between people so they themselves can solve their problem? Now, that's the that's what mediation, in my opinion, should be. I think the challenge is that most of us who are professionals are trained to be problem solvers. So Mm. to be mediators and we still want to dive in and solve someone else's problem. And that's the real challenge for the mediation profession, I think, is that mediation has been perceived, as you mm. say, as different things to different people. And they have different expectations of what it will be like and what it will do for them. And, and you're right in saying that, you know, many times clients will expect you to come in and solve their problem lawyers will expect you to challenge the legal basis of their case i don't think those are primarily the role of a mediator a Mm. good mediator who is only mediating and i know there are different styles of mediation which we you know we don't need to go into but there are different styles of mediation, but in essence, and that's what I've really gone back to in the last few years, what's the essence of mediation? It's a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it, isn't it? Because, um, you know, as we've said, people do expect to go into a room and for somebody to solve their problem for them, for somebody to tell them they're right, but the uh, really... Fantastic mediators ask the most amazing questions, which then draw answers, the most, I suppose, insightful answers from the from the parties that move them towards a solution, don't they? Yeah, it, the questions are important. And what we're trying to get people to do, which is something that many people don't know how to do, most of us are not trained how to do, is critical thinking. Mm. How do you think critically? How do you unpack a problem and and then think through it at a deeper level? And we're not trained at school, really. We're not taught at school problem solving. We're not taught critical thinking. And so, you know, this is new for us. And I think, therefore, that's uh, I see that as my role as a mediator is to trigger or or promote this critical thinking how can we think more deeply about this problem how can we come up with how can we understand where it came from you know you go back to the roots of it how can we understand what the options are for finding a solution how can Mm. we then um, find some criteria for analyzing those options and saying you know how, how do we 
which is the best way to move forward with that. Mm. All of those things, Caroline, it's all part of a a very complex but quite simple process also in a way is to think you just need to get from I, I doing that because I, I use it as a compass. I say, you know, mm. you need to go, you need to start and move around the compass to understand how you get the right direction. Mm. And do you often find that initially what the presenting problem is, what people have arrived, the issue that they've arrived with isn't really when things have been unpicked, it's not really what the underlying issue is? Oh, almost always. I mean, yes, I think that what people say the problem is, is not always the problem, or it has got these deeper roots and it is, you know, either rooted in the past or they come with certain baggage that makes them again, you know, about perception, makes them perceive the problem in a particular way. And what we're talking about is narratives, really, you know, what's Mm -hmm my other you know narrative or story what's my perception of what this problem is and where it comes from and what's your perception of Mm. what it is Uh, and if people have gone into a formal or a legal process they're up here they're looking at you know what what are the facts what are the data but you know underneath that is a story a narrative there's something that's driving that what did I think what did I feel um you know what was going on for me uh, uh, and why and mm. the big question is why 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 is this important to me where do i want to get to and why and so we're we're really dealing with the why and we're looking really deeply under the surface in mediation to try and find a better way forward yeah it's incredible isn't it because yeah lots of people do i think when they when they look inward and they and they kind of go why the why suddenly really kind of knocks them off their feet because it really really does have nothing to do with the the actions the why kind of you know maybe something to do with the how they've perceived uh a particular situation always how, how they've perceived a particular situation but then their actions propel them forwards into a situation that is so, uh, in lots of cases, when it gets to mediation, I suppose so unresolvable and so toxic, you know, people can't have conversations anymore. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's a breakdown in being able to have a conversation and being able to hear the other person's point of view. Yes, definitely. What I talk a lot about is the escalation process, which it it happens really quickly, but conflict, once it's triggered, goes through a process. And I do explain to people, once you're on the escalator, you almost, it's almost automatic. You know, you can almost say, well, it's not my fault. We're, you know, we're just going through a process, but you've got to understand what the process is and how you stop it, because you've just got to stop that escalator and say hang on a minute we need to get Mm. off here Mm. and have a look at this and the further you go down the escalator the more difficult it becomes to unpack things because you get to a stage where no idea what this is about anymore it just becomes about saving face you know what was the story I relied on Mm. Um, yeah yeah, I, I have to defend my actions, as you were saying, the actions that I've taken, I've now got to say, oh, no, 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 that was, I was right to do that. Yeah. So we tie ourselves in knots, Caroline, basically. Well, well, this is it. It takes a lot, doesn't it, to kind of say, actually, I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I was wrong. That yeah. I, I wasn't aware of that information. This has completely changed things. Um, mm. I don't want to carry on. <laughs> you know, but we're so... As humans, we're so sort of, I don't know, hardwired to stand our ground, even when we're presented with information that shows us that, you know, it's it's that uh, cognitive dissonance, isn't it? It's that thing where where you're where you're like, well, well, I'm wrong. But how can I be wrong? (laughs) I'm a nice person. I do. You know, and, and, and that's the thing that this holding on 
which you see everywhere, this holding on to weird kind of beliefs or or uh, thoughts that have been proven, you know, shown to be incorrect. And once we've committed to something, you're right, we do not want to let go of that, again, that perception, that idea that that we were right, even if we even if we can see the logic. So it's not about logic at all. We we talk about in mediation, mm. the emotional barometer and when emotions are up here, you know, logic is low. And I think we're not being logical. We're not no. talking about logic and facts and data. You can show people all the facts and data you like, but they're making an emotional decision. Do I feel comfortable with you know, with myself, with my stance. And, you know, so we're looking at how can you make people feel more comfortable or, you know, that's why building the relationship, you know, building the rapport in mediation is so important. Mm. And, and the listening, as you say, is, you know, if you can listen to someone else's story and acknowledge their story. You're not saying that story is right. You're saying, I hear you. Mm. I hear your story. I understand where it comes from. I'm acknowledging how important that is to you. And here's my story, or here's the other person's story. And, you know, can you see where they're coming from? And then where is it you both want to get to? Well, usually it's the same place, actually. <laughs> mm. They're usually going to the same place, just they've taken a different route to get there. Yeah. And and what was it then when you were talking there? I was just thinking, what what drew you to be the person to want to be the person to be in that situation to be to to be the peacemaker? What drew you to that? Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, Caroline? So I'm sure I can look back to my childhood and say mm. there are things there that probably. Uh, triggered me to want to be a peacemaker there were a couple of two or three things actually one of them was when I was working as a lawyer as a commercial lawyer for some reason I always you know people would describe a particular client as difficult this person is difficult but they would give them to me because I didn't find them difficult I found them interesting (laughs) I would you know somehow I found a way to get through to build rapport with people who were perceived again as difficult and I didn't find them difficult. I just found them interesting, different. Mm. And so I would, I would deal with, you know, the the client who was more challenging rather than the commercial issue that was more challenging. Then true story. I was in my library looking for a recipe book and a hardback book fell off the top shelf and hit me on the head. (laughs) (laughs) It's true story. Um, it was a book called Love, Medicine and Miracles by Dr. Bernie Siegel. And Ooh. I took it out and thought, oh, what's this, you know? And what Dr. Siegel was saying in his book, he's I've just literally um, publishing tomorrow um, my own podcast with Dr. Bernie Siegel. I interviewed <gasps> him a couple of times. He's an amazing um, cancer doctor. He's retired now. But what he was saying back in the 1970s, I think he started practicing, is that He was fed up of treating people as just a disease, again, on the conveyor belt of Mm. medicine. He wanted to know about the person. What's going on with this person? What are their needs? What are their interests? What are their fears? What are their concerns? And I just thought if he, if Dr. Siegel is doing that in medicine, why are we not doing the same thing in law? Why are we not unpacking the problem Mm -hmm and looking at the people as well as just, this is all about facts and data and what's the law. And so that inspired me. And, and I just thought, well, that that's what I wanted to do. And, and mediation was very new. It really started being practiced here by the legal profession only in the 1990s. Wow. This was in the 1990s. And so I was one of the first cohort to train as a mediator. Wow. Wow, I didn't know that, Jane. <laughs> Quite a long time ago now. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. It really is because I think once you, you do have to be a certain kind of person who who is drawn to people and their story and looking and to look at them holistically rather than yeah. just what they've done 
and condemn them for what they've done. It's mm. to, to look at them, to look at the whole story before we dive in there uh, and 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 kind of judge. Um, that's fantastic. And you've written a book, haven't you? Well, you've been, written a couple of books. Um, <laughs> one which I have is to uh, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom. that's such a great title Uh, with a footnote uh, a life-changing guide to happiness at work and at home and so you were saying that this book demystifies conflict or gives you idea well well, you you can explain for us please well Why I wrote it originally, part of the work I've always done is not just mediation and training others as mediators, but actually helping people to understand conflict within their Mm. businesses. And I was working with groups of chief executives doing sort of three hour training sessions just to help them look at conflict in the boardroom. Mm. that's part of the title comes from Mm. (laughs) and what they would then say to me is great but you know I've actually got a problem at home with my teenage son or daughter Uh, and I'd say but it's the same principles the principles that we Mm. use the skills and tools we use are exactly the same it doesn't matter whether you're at home whether you're in the office whether you're in the organization you know at top of the organization or really whether you're looking at you know, international conflict. What's going on is is still the principles of conflict and conflict resolution. And so that's why I wrote the book. And each chapter has just got a scenario from the work and the home life to just say, look, you can look at these two juxtapositions. And also, when you've got a conflict at home, you'll take it to work with you. When you've got a conflict at work, you'll take it home with you. So those two, and now more than ever, you know, where we're all hybrid and Mm. whatever we're doing, Mm. you know, those two parts of your life are completely enmeshed. And so you've got to understand that 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 in itself is going to create some conflict, uh, maybe between people, maybe internally for you as to how do you balance your time and your responsibilities, lots of stuff. Yeah, well, you can certainly see when people are at work, when people have something troubling them and they'll respond maybe in a way which is to, to something that's small, a slight thing, they'll respond in a really exaggerated and inflated uh, or they have an exaggerated and inflated response to something that may that might happen at work, which might be a small thing, and you're like, "Whoa, okay, <laughs> where did that?" You know, you see people kind of go, "Well, where did that come from?" And it's and it's either from home or when they're you know having a terrible day at work and they go home and respond in a way uh, which is again uh, totally out of proportion. Um, and all of us are carrying baggage, Caroline, you know, it, it, even those of us that don't think we've had traumatic childhoods or whatever, we've still mm. carrying baggage, which is programming, experiences, things that have happened to us, everything that has happened to us in the past, every experience we've been through from childhood to our school days, through our, you know, work experiences, we carry all of that with us. Yeah. And yeah. Those things can be the things that are triggering us because they change how we again perceive a situation. If we've been bullied at work previously, then we may experience somebody who who, who is perhaps being assertive as a bully when they're not trying to be a bully. Mm. Uh, so we are we're we're coloured by our previous experiences, our our view of our view of a situation is. Well, and that's unconscious to a large extent, really, isn't it? This uh, our unconscious bias and our unconscious and implicit bias. I think uh, two two episodes ago, I talked to a, a professor of psychology, and we talked about implicit bias and how we make decisions based on our conditioning, uh, and these decisions are are completely unconscious. They're they're just triggered by. Uh, yeah, our, our upbringing, our, our whatever we've been, our programming, I suppose. 
Yeah. So one of the most important things we can do for ourselves in managing conflict or learning is to understand ourselves. You know, where do I come from? What have I learned along the way? What challenges, conflicts, other experiences have I had to deal with that I've come through? And, um, you know, what do I learn from that? And then if you add on top some of the perception and the skills and the tools of mediation, then you're better equipped to deal with it in the future. Because mm. you do see, and I mean, we had a pre when we had a conversation to pre-recording, we did talk about in the current climate socially, there is a lot of um, pushback, I suppose, or 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 people are incredibly reactive uh, in terms of, uh, you know, we talked about if somebody's misused somebody's pronoun or they haven't added their pronoun or the, or whatever, you know, there's the, a real backlash and a, and a reaction, isn't there? What do you think, what do you think is causing that? Because this has been kind of, there seems to have been a, a real increase in the sensitivity around, um, and I mean, some, in some cases, of course, yes, justified, but there seems to be, uh, an incredible increase in in uh, uh, people's reactiveness or sensitivity to to anything, <laughs> everything. There's lots of lots of things going on at one time here, Caroline. You know that we probably take quite a long time to unpack. I mean, one of the things is we are living in this incredibly fast paced uh, society that itself is very vulnerable. We don't know what's happening next. And so that vulnerability um, feeds through into, you know, we've lived for the last three years in a very fear-based society and, mm. and that hasn't really gone away. So when you're living in fear all the time, I think you tend to be very sensitive, very vulnerable to, you know, other 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 forces. So you're wanting to sort of protect yourself. Mm. That's one of the things I think. Then you've got things that are kind of trending in society, if you like. So it becomes kind of without realising again. I mean, again, it's a kind of programming or conditioning, but these are the things that we we now talk about. And this is the way we talk about it. Uh, and this is the way we approach it. Uh, and then just a sense that people don't have the skills partly because I think we are becoming more online. We're not conversing as much. So we've lost those, or we're beginning to lose the skills of dialogue, conversation, uh, you know, debate, being able to share views about things without having to be reactive. Uh, I, I think that's all of those things I think are happening, but I, I think particularly the loss of conversational skills and therefore misinterpreting what someone may have meant and not having the skills to just check that out. Am I right? Did I get that right? You know, because when you unpack it and say, what was your intention? Was your intention to hurt me, harm me? It's it, usually not the case at all. It mm. was a misunderstanding or, you know, and so... I think you get back to the level of what did somebody actually intend? Their intention probably was quite innocent. They certainly can learn that that particular person would prefer to be addressed in a particular way. It's not it's not about being right or wrong, but it's about understanding that perhaps you just need to have a conversation around that, mm. about when you addressed me like that, I felt offended or hurt or I'd prefer that you addressed me in a different way thank you mm. uh, I, I will do that in future I understand that mm. and, um, we've just lost that skill that skill to just say hey you know let's have a chat about it let's talk about it well it does seem so because it, it's interesting lots of I think again, it's a trend. I mean, I love I love having a convers a vocal <laughs> conversation with somebody on the phone. You know, I, there's a certain kind of you know some of my younger friends just text, and I'm like, oh my god, I know. you can't hear, no. you can't hear intonation, 
You you don't know how somebody is feeling because you can't. I mean, okay, you can throw in some emojis. Emojis are kind of invented to to show emotion. However, you know, I spent so much time with my glasses trying to interpret what the emoji is saying. <laughs> exactly, it's just like. Can we just bloody have a conversation? You know, I just I find it really tap, tap, tapity tap. Let's send a text, you know, and sometimes texting is fine and it's quick, but a voice note even, but things that are written down are so open to misinterpretation yeah. because of the lack of, you know, tone. We don't know what somebody's mean. We don't know what somebody means because we can't actually hear their voice. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I think what you... That's part of it. We've lost the skill of conversation, of dialogue and of debate. And and we think that if we disagree about something, that that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, Carol. Mm. I'm sure you and I could find mm. a lot of things that we mm. disagree about. Mm. But that doesn't mean we can't have a conversation about it. It doesn't mean that one of us is right and the other one's wrong. It would be just interesting to say, I'm really curious to hear more about your perspective mm. and you to say, I'm really curious to learn more about yours. And then we would learn from each other and then we can go away and reflect on it and think about it. Or we might dig deeper into that topic, but it doesn't mean we can't talk about it or that we have to fall out with each other. Well, I think this is it really, isn't it? I think you've you've kind of hit the nail on the head. There's so little... Um, there is so little uh, leeway or the so, people are afraid to to give anything, to be proven wrong, to yeah. to have to listen to anything at all, you know, <laughs> and, and without taking it as a complete uh, insult. And if somebody has a different opinion, that's OK. They're allowed to have a different opinion. You know, um, I do find I have to say I do find some of the some of the things that are trending maybe uh, socially quite damaging in terms of um, in terms of well, really destroying conversation, destroying uh, um, well, destroying healthy conversation, I should say. Yes, because we've got what you would term cancel culture, which is really, you know, sure, if you think that, then I couldn't possibly speak with you or I'll have to. I've seen this and I've seen it from quite senior colleagues on Facebook where they've said, if if you really believe that, I'm going to have to unfriend you. And you think that is such a an unhelpful comment, because why would you have to unfriend someone just because they have a different perspective to you mm. on something that's important? The real... Um, adult thing to do mature thing to do would be to say i'm curious to to to, to know more about what you think let's have a call let's mm -hmm. set up a call um i don't know why yeah that. why have you got to press unfriend <laughs> <laughs> that's it You're, i'm culling you for my address book <laughs> i'm culling you um but it, it's yeah it's it is it's it's just really surprising and and actually quite i think it's quite concerning really because as you say the the soft skills of being able to communicate with each other and to create rapport mm. and to be able to understand each other and hear each other are slowly being eroded um well i you know this is one of my my um feelings uh at the moment and uh, and i don't know i think that may be also quite heavily to do with uh the um the prevalence and the uh of mobile phones of yes. everywhere yeah. uh of kind of and i've said this before you know looking inwards rather than actually looking outwards and it and it is ironic because the the internet kind of gives us access to everyone and everything all the time. However, we just become this island of one. 
I think so. I, I, you know, I don't think we really have understood even those of us who, like me, really predate all of the sort of mobile, mm. you know, phones and so on. I, I literally can remember not having one. I remember, oh, yeah, me too. I remember the first time a client came in and said, oh, I've got one of these new things called a mobile phone. And it was literally this big. It was a <laughs> huge brick. And he had a it brick. Yeah. Up nearly all of his briefcase, but he was so proud of it. But you know, I think we have not, we've not had time to analyze, we've not had time to self-analyze what impact mobile media is having on us and where we get our information from and the impact it has on our communication. You can see, uh, and I was at the swimming pool not long ago and there was a, a mother there and all she wanted was to take selfies of herself mm. in the jacuzzi and her little daughter was there going, mummy, Will you come in the pool now, mummy? Will you come? And the mother was more interested in putting her Instagram selfies up than she was in playing with her daughter. And, you know, I don't want to blame her, but she had her perception was that it was more important to present to her mm -hmm. friends an image of herself playing at the pool with her daughter when, in fact, the daughter wanted her to just ditch the phone and get in the water and play. But mm. we are. I think we have to understand that we're all easily manipulated. We are. We're mm. all easily manipulated to behave in certain ways, to see things in certain ways. And mobile technology just enhances that. And so, again, it's about understanding ourselves and understanding how can we moderate that, <laughs> mediate between ourselves and our mobile mm. phones, perhaps. Oh, oh, my God. And it's really difficult. It's really difficult. I think people have, you know, isn't there some sort of, uh, you know, uh, medical condition where people kind of have anxiety if they're separated from their phone, if their phone's in a different room, they go into this crazy anxiety mode. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it's interesting to see what happens if you... I've just got an old one out again. I thought perhaps I would take that around with me, an old Nokia thing. I've, I've, got, I've Nokia. got one of those with that has no photos on it, no nothing. nothing. All you can do is make phone calls. So I thought <laughs> I'll get that out. You know, that would be fun. I go into a restaurant and say, would you like to download our, you know, our QR code? And I say, could you show me how it works? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, but it's... But it's if if like I think God wow if we had no mo mobile phones from tomorrow, wow. Suddenly, if mobile phones just you know just stopped yeah. working, yeah, we'd be it, back to humanizing. Well, exactly. But wouldn't it throw people into utter chaos? People would be thrown into, you know, there'd be panic. There'd be, there'd be riots in the streets. My phone, you know, and 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 you think God, some people may react more uh, virulently to the loss of their phone than they would to, you know, culling a friend from their address book. You know, it's it's a it's a kind of. Mm frightening sort of dystopian <laughs> kind of nightmare isn't it this thing with with technology it seems to have created it is caroline and i think the fact that we're being asked to do more and more on it you know perhaps to do our banking on our phone or to order our shopping on our phone you know that it becomes even more intrusive you know mm. why would you do everything on your phone why would you not yeah yeah exactly well again it's about you know I have my views on that you have your views on that but it's that that kind of idea of of I suppose something that is initially made sold as made making life easier for us yeah isn't really making life easier for us and do we really want life to be more convenient? You know, I don't think convenience leads to growth. You know, it depends what you're interested in. But it, it, do you want an easy and convenient life? Mm. What What is the point of that? Where does that lead you? So that, again, is about, you know, 
how do I deal with challenge or conflict? That is what, in the end, enables me to grow as a person. And if mm. I remove all of that, so I wrote a, a blog recently called From A to Zoom, because mm. when I was a junior legal clerk, my day was to go out of the office and take writs to be issued or go to the high court and you know, represent a client or whatever. I was out of the office all day and I didn't have a mobile phone. Mm. Um, I didn't have I didn't have Google Maps, for example. I had to work out my way around London with an mm. A to Z. And, and nobody, no way to phone back to the office, no way to take instructions. You know, you are on your own and you had to rely on your own. And if some challenge arose, then you had to deal with it and solve the problem for yourself. Mm. You couldn't rely on Google Maps or something else to come to your rescue. And, and I just think we've lost that ability to even manage the micro challenges of every day. You know, I, I agree that it's very convenient for many people to be able to work from home. But the micro challenges that you go through every single day of having to negotiate your way to work, your way to a meeting, your way home again, are part of the things and in the incidental conversations mm. and people that you meet. It's part of life that we are now missing out on. And that's part of our personal growth and it is more convenient and more comfortable very often to stay at home and not to go and I'm sure that's right part of the time but partly we're not challenging ourselves to as I say deal with these micro challenges micro conflicts mm. every day so we're going to more and more lose the skill of conversation of mm. dealing with challenges mm. and it's a loss of autonomy isn't it yeah. it's it's yes you know, and this is something that I've noticed. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast in the first place is to speak to people like you and kind of and to say, hey, listeners, hey, people out there, you are autonomous and powerful beings and you can do whatever you want and yeah. just be aware that maybe that how our how our conditioning is is sort of is kind of shaping us and pushing us towards something, pushing us toward down a path that we might not want to go down, but we can actually do something about it. You I know. think that's right, Caroline. I think, you know, we have to understand where we have a choice and what that choice is. And sometimes we need to actually actively exercise that choice, mm. not to just sit back and go, well, I've been given you know, the opportunity to be online or bit but no we have an active choice to choose our own path mm. path do I want to be on whatever path that is you know whether that's a path of relationships or how I work or anything but we don't have to be passive recipients of what others think is good for us we have but we ha that again requires critical thinking because you've got to be looking at what's going on, what's developing and thinking, do I agree with that or do I not agree with that? If mm -hmm. I don't agree with that, who do I say? What do I do? How mm -hmm. do I make a different choice? But if we are all passive recipients of information, of the way politics develops, whatever, we won't have a choice. There won't be a choice. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're Yep, we're not going to have a choice if we just passively uh, uh, receive as opposed to questioning and taking action um, from a from a place of uh, information, from informed action, I, I should informed, say. Yeah, yeah. And, and the biggest principle of mediation, which go back to your first question, is self-determination. Mm. You decide. So you take the choice, you you make the decision. And that's an, inf as you're saying, it's an informed decision. I have explored all the information. Uh, I've looked at all the choices and here's the choice I make. And that's the, that's why I think that the principles of mediation are more important today than they ever were before not just you know using it in terms of a legal dispute but the actual principles that set at the heart of mediation are ones that could inform how we operate in society now mm. yeah 
And I think, and I think you're exactly right in your book, which is fantastic. Uh, does give some examples of how we can use those principles um, and demystifies uh, uh, mediation, I suppose, things around the, 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 the misinformation around, around what mediation is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also outlines, you know, that, that really, that con- any conflict is really the result of a breakdown in communication. And and this is obviously what we've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think whether that's communication with ourselves, where we're just shutting off, <laughs> you know, we, we shut off and we kind of go, well, I can just, I could just sit here passively and as you say, receive and absorb and not have and not challenge myself to 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 think as you say think critically or to dig deeper or to or to ask questions even um yeah and there's nothing more i find there's nothing more interesting than having a challenging conversation with someone you know mm. over a coffee or or whatever you know i love those challenging conversations where I don't know something or I don't know about you or, or, or we've just got something to explore. But I wonder if we're losing the art of that mm. and the art of not, not knowing. We want to be so certain about everything. You know, I know, I know I'm right. And it's like, no, yeah. there's so much I don't know. And, and that's delightful to not know because there, you know, there are more options then. If you're absolutely certain that this is the way things are and this is where we're going, well, that closes down lots of options, doesn't it? Mm. But this is it, suspending the need to know. I think, obviously, people want to know about everything so they feel safe. So if I know about everything, if I know what's going to happen, I'll feel safe. But at the end of the day, you can't. (laughs) You know, you can't. You can't be present and know what's going to happen because things change in a second. And uh, that I think is a, is a, one of the basic human sort of fears, this lack of control, not being able to control anything is a real base kind of need that we have and being able to, and when you're able to relinquish control, my God, life is just so much happier, so much easier. Yes. And of course, that sense of wanting to be in control again comes from sort of fear or vulnerability. Mm. Actually, you know, it, it's it's that desire of I'll feel better if I can control the situation or other people. But it doesn't work. At the end of the day, it never works. You can't. You can never fully control something. Something's going to pop up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And also it's so great when you kind of take a path of just, right, I'm going to, I'm just going to go for it and see how things go. Things always turn out. They always have a, a way of turning out in so much, in such a, 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 a better kind of version than you could have ever imagined than if you have every single detail planned. Mm. You know, I'm I'm really the destination is fantastic. I've got the destination in my sights. However, journey there, woo! I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take might take a little detour here. I might I might do this. I might do that. Let's see what happens. I know I'll get to the destination then, but I, I'm not going to take too many detours. But but it just opens you up to so much more, and that's the exciting thing. And I think that's bringing us, you know, back as well to to what you're saying in this conversation is that that people not going out, not doing that, not especially young people who were, you know, uh, over COVID kind of really imprisoned, the young people who should yeah. have been actually later teens going out there, really yes. enjoying themselves, getting to know other people have, have really suffered in terms of, missing out on some uh i think some real growth um and basic uh 
you know, I, I don't quite know how to describe, but, but basic connections that that can't be made when you're sitting at home in front of a, a digital screen. Yeah. You know, yeah, they, okay. yeah. Quite okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I I went to a course in November. It was a small course and it, it surprised me that at least two people there who were parents had told me that their um, high-performing, not low-performing, they weren't struggling at school, but their high-performing teenagers no longer wanted to go to school. They were what you called school refusers. They had been impacted by being out of school and they said, actually, don't want to go back, you know. And for some reason, they were struggling with the re-socialising, getting back into the the groove of daily classroom life. And they, despite being, you know, so these were not people who didn't feel adequate yeah. intellectually or, you know, were struggling with their studies. They just were struggling with the social reintegration of going back to school which is incredibly sad. Yeah, it is incredibly sad. And I don't think, uh, you know, I've said this again uh, in other episodes, I don't think we're really going to see the effect of that until, you know, until the next generation and how people interact unless, I suppose, unless we have a real push around learning how to communicate and relearning how to communicate and uh, critical thinking and the the uh, subtle art of conversation, you know, and the art of debating without being torn down <laughs> before you could even open your mouth. Because one of your other uh, many hats is as a speaker. I know I'd gone to an event where somebody said to me, oh, you should be a speaker. And in fact, a very dear colleague of, of ours, David Richbell, had asked me if I'd like to start mm -hmm. training other mediators. Wow. So that was one of the things I went into start delivering this mediation training course. And then I moved from there to being able to speak, speak about, speak about it. And it, for me, it, it's, it, I really enjoy speaking because it's about just trying to distill in my mind what the principles are as simply as possible and then say, mm. I explain it to you in a way that you get it, even though I'm only speaking to you for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is. Can I condense that knowledge about here's what mediation is or here's how you would deal with this particular situation? I'm just preparing a speech for this coming weekend which is called um, Mapping Our Journey to Success and Joy. And again, it's taking the mediation principles and the journey of mediation and saying, how would you apply those to the times we're in? Mm. 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 And how would you apply? <laughs> 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 you to listen to your talk for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How can people hear you? So how can people, if they, if they would like to hear, your, hear more of your amazing wisdom, um, where can people find you, Jane? So my website's janegun.co.uk. My email is jane at janegun.co.uk if people want to email me. Um, there you can, if, if anybody, I, I have a bi-weekly newsletter, which is full of information. And I did make, if anybody would like this, please email me directly. I did make a, a little set of videos for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis. So there you oh, can wow. see me speaking to camera. Uh, it's a set of 10 mini videos which go through some of the skills we need for managing in the times we're in. And I'm very happy to send those out to people if they'd like to email me. Oh, amazing. Well, I'll I'll put all your uh, links in the in the show notes and you also have a podcast don't you i do i have a podcast it's the barefoot mediator podcast so i became known as the barefoot mediator in lockdown just because i wasn't wearing any shoes and still <laughs> not so <laughs> Hooray! Hooray! so uh yes i do and my next again if you sign up for my newsletter you'll get my podcasts they come out uh, on the newsletter but they're also on um, they are on Spotify and on my website. And the Fantastic. one that's coming out today is with the is with Dr. Bernie Siegel, whose book fell on my head. And we're talking about your healing journey. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Jane, thank you. Thank you for coming on and talking about your journey. Um, and also for, for demystifying and clarifying some of the um 
information around mediation and and also just for a a conversation about the importance of conversation because I really think I've noticed you know I noticed when I I talk I love talking to strangers I embrace meeting people and talking to people and I suppose that's why obviously why I'm doing a podcast but um but I've kind of noticed this worrying, as I say, a worrying trend of of kind of a lack of communication, and um, and I really think it's something that we need to look at, maybe, and address and work towards rectifying. And thank you for. Uh, oh, you were about to say something? No, I was just going to say let let's make it happen, Caroline. Yeah, well, I'm just, do you know what? I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, yeah, actually, (laughs) you know, this is something that really is just such an important thing because without communication, we communication is, is kind of life, really. And knowing how to communicate, knowing how to communicate in a way that, that to communicate effectively, I think. It is the thing, so many, is... as you know, as an actress, there's so many being in theatre, there's so many different aspects to communication that we we can learn and we can enjoy. It's about having fun. Always it's about having fun. Exactly. More fun with life, more fun with people, find more opportunities when you go out and have conversations and learn these skills. I think that's my final yeah. thoughts, Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Hooray. Oh, Jane, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for this fantastic, wonderful conversation. And um, I hopefully I'll I'll get you on again because there were some other things that I'd like to uh, to to chat to you about. But um uh, yeah. we'll save that for next time. And um thank you everyone. Thank you for for listening. Thank you for liking. Please like and follow and share and subscribe. And um, and yes, please comment. Tell me what you'd like more of. And um, I will see you next week uh, on another episode of the Perception Podcast. <laughs>